Lord, move this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I need to make tracks and because um, I got a lot of data here that I want to go over. So I, I have two Starbucks cups. Um, one of them is for me. One of them is for Jesus. Because um, we're just going to pretend I'm, I'm just going to have a little chat with Jesus this morning. This is what we've been. This is what I've been talking about the last few weeks. Think about going out to Starbucks with Jesus. Um, how much do you agree with him on? You might be really religious. You might have been a choir boy. You might have a Bible college degree. You might have a seminary degree. You might know your Greek and your Hebrew. <clears throat> but if you are literally sitting across the table from Jesus at Starbucks, and you said, "Jesus, let me tell you what I think about prayer." He'd be like, that's exactly what I was up to when I was walking the earth. You got it. You nailed it. Jesus, let me tell you what I think about the poor. Now, we all think we're right in our religious views. But you'll hear me say this a hundred times. The deceptive thing about deception is it deceives you. You think your wrong view is a right view. So I've been pushing this thing for weeks. If Jesus and I were at Starbucks and we're going to talk about an issue... Would what I think, because I have definite views. You have definite views. People are like, I don't have a theology. Everybody has a theology. By default, you have a, a theology. If you're an atheist, you have a theology. There, God doesn't have anything to do with anything. That's your theology. But most of us have a twisted, warped theology. You say, impossible. I'm born again. I asked Jesus into my heart. I was baptized. And, and then I had this incredible experience with the Holy Spirit. I, I even speak in tongues. I've seen, I've seen uh, prophetic visions. I've laid hands on the sick. You can still be deceived. How do I know? Because Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, didn't we do miracles, cast out demons? He's going to say, you were clueless. They were deceived. Could it be you? How many in here understand that in a lot of points, you not only could be, but probably are not seeing things clearly. And at Starbucks, you and Jesus would have some serious disagreements. How many of you guys know that? Okay, those who aren't raising your hand, ah, you're in for a rough ride. So, Jesus and prayer. That's what I want to talk about today. Why do I want to talk about prayer? Well, I might as well read a passage of Scripture. That's always the best way to start a sermon, but I'm going to be hitting a bunch. Because the best way to shape your theology, find a subject and study the Bible for yourself from Genesis to Revelation. Don't go to your priest and say, what am I supposed to think about prayer? And then he just, you know, Polly want a cracker. Okay, Polly want a cracker. What else am I supposed to say? Well, you know, pray the rosary. Okay, pray the rosary. Whatever, pray this way if it be thy will. Okay, you don't pair it. You search it out. You wrestle. What did Jesus say? He said so much about prayer. Have you hammered through it? It's shocking what Jesus says about prayer. Do you know why they killed him? Because everything he said about everything was shocking. And it was an affront to what was going on in the equivalent of the churches. If he were here, he would not be embraced and hugged and invited into most Bible-believing born-again churches. And again, you can search that out and see if that's true. What did he say about prayer? Well, the best way to figure it out is maybe don't think of this as us reading some 2,000-year-old book, think about this as Jesus sitting there saying these things to us. What does he say about prayer? Let's look at some of it. The disciples watched him do a miracle one time, and they said, how in the world did you do that? And Jesus said, all right, 
teaching time, boys. Sit around. So here we are at Starbucks. Jesus is going to say this to us. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, what mountain, Jesus? Maybe the Mount of Olives. Who knows? Maybe Mount Zion. He's you know, pointing to the Temple Mount. Who knows who he's talking? What mountain he's talking about? But he probably is. Whoever says to this mountain, he's pointing to a mountain. We used to live near Pikes Peak. Point to Pikes. See this mountain? Truly, I say to you. I'm not kidding, guys. If you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and you don't doubt in your heart, but you believe that what you say is going to happen, it will be granted to you. You're being metaphorical, right? You're being, yeah, this is a joke. This is hyperbole. This is a, a figurative mountain. Well, he just actually, what the miracle was, was he caused a literal, actual tree to die in a matter of hours. Well, you know, I guess he wasn't much of an environmentalist. Well, that's not the point. He, he made them all. He could do whatever he wants with them. He created every tree that's ever been made, so he has the right to make one weather. But the guys are like, how in the world did you do that? You, you cursed that tree. He was, he was actually cursing the nation of Israel that had rejected him, and he was trying to show that you see what's happening to that tree? That's what's going to happen to this nation. And to prove what he was saying, he said, just like that. So the next day, they're like, what? Can you imagine? What if I did that? What if we're driving down the street in the car, and I said, you know, your Uncle Sal, man, if he doesn't get right with the Lord, He's going to die like that tree. You see that tree there? Yeah, that one that's 100 feet tall, that cottonwood. Tomorrow it's going to be nothing but a dried out, you know, desiccated hull. You're like, yeah, right. Said, Your uncle is going down if he does not repent and get his life right. So next day we drive by that cottonwood tree. You're like, what? In the world? That's, that's kind of what happened. Jesus said, guys, if you believe what you're doing, if you understand what biblical faith is, you can command things even physical things in this universe to happen. Now, babies get a hold of this. People that don't study the Bible, anything, Mercedes, go! You know, that's ridiculous. There's a lot of the health and wealth nonsense, some of the mega churches where the people don't haven't put the pieces together right. But there is an aspect of this that is true. Jesus is saying, how do you get this done? You command things. And then he says, therefore, how do you get to a place where you can command things? Therefore, I'm going to explain to you a little deeper how this command stuff works. I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you've received them. So commanding is related to prayer. So if you don't know how to pray and you don't know the biblical way of praying, you're not going to be able to command anything. But he says, if you know how to pray, this will put you in the place where you can then understand the kind of things that you're supposed to be commanding. So if you pray and believe, that you have received them, so there's a certainty that you're supposed to obtain in prayer to the place where you say it is done. Does this sound weird to you? Anybody honest enough to say this sounds weird to them? One, Only one person in this whole room. Two people. Good. I appreciate that. Don't lie. Does this sound weird to you? Come on. Let's see some hands. Three, four, five. Yeah, okay. This is not taught in our churches. This is just not taught in our churches. We're taught to submit, just like the Muslims are. Oh, Lord, if it be thy will, heal my grandpa, but if not, you know, I pray that he drops into hell and never hears the gospel and isn't healed. That's what we're saying. I know that's offensive, but that's what we're saying. God, whatever happens, I'm going to assume it's what you want. No godly person in the Bible ever prays like that. So 
I beat this drum a lot, but I'm not good at this kind of praying. And if I'm not good at it, I'm assuming you're not good at it. I'll see another round of hands here. Who's good at this type of praying? Let me see your hands. Because if you're good at it, I'm going to step down and you're going to come up here and you're going to teach us how to do it. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. We're at the Starbucks. How does this work, Jesus? Well, if you know how to pray, you're going to get a certainty in prayer and you're going to be able to command things. So are we followers of Jesus? Is this what he said? Is this the only place he said it? No, this is, all, this is the only framework for prayer that he has in the New Testament. It doesn't matter if that's not what we're being taught in our Bible colleges and seminaries. We're out to Starbucks with Jesus, not Dr. PhD from Oxford, Mr. McGillicuddy. We're out with Jesus, and he's telling us how to pray. So, you want to see how this works? Uh, top 10 book on my top 10 list, They Found the Secret. Hands high. Who's read this? One, kind of. Who's dabbled in it? Who's read some of the accounts in it? Come on. Let me see your hands. Let's everybody else see your hands. Okay, so a bunch of people. Got a whole row back there. You all get a gold star. You got a whole row, four people in that row, but probably 10, 15 people. This is one of my top 10 books that I want you guys to read before you get out of here. They, who, the greatest Christians who ever walked the planet, found the secret. Nah, big deal. I'm fine. I don't care what they found. Well, that's why, you, that's why we read their books, is they found some secret the rest of us didn't find, so you ought to read their book. The guy who wrote this book, that's not my point, is uh, V. Raymond Edmond. He was the president of Wheaton College. Wheaton College is the Harvard of Bible-believing, born-again Christianity. And you have to have credentials like you do to go to Harvard to go there. All the smartest Christians go to Wheaton and get their degrees from Wheaton. Didn't go there, but they also go to Trinity, and I went to Trinity. But anyway, um, but no, I didn't go to Wheaton. My, my sister went, but a lot of the greatest leaders went to Wheaton. He wrote this book, They Found the Secret. You want to see how this commanding stuff works? So uh, I go to the epilogue of this book. Maybe I don't have to read a lot of it to you. He was a young missionary in Ecuador. He's dying on the mission field. This is, these are his words in the epilogue of this book. I knew I was dying. How can a person know he's dying? He's never felt that way before, nor has anyone from, that, from the point of no return come back to tell of his experience. Nevertheless, I knew I was dying. I was entirely unaware. What he, has, he was helping these natives, and I think he's probably in his early 20s. He's been married for one year, has a, has a newborn baby. He says, I was unaware. Uh, of the ministry I'd been doing in the Aboriginal villages and the high Ecuadorian Andes to help the children of the Incas who were dying of some mysterious malady. So he caught it and he's dying. And then down next paragraph, I didn't know my wife had been advised to prepare for a funeral with the help of a friend had dyed black her wedding dress. Doesn't that sound fun? Young married women who are pretty new dye your wedding dress black because he's going and nothing can stop him. And uh, another friend bought a coffin, and they said, we have to bury him at 3 o'clock today because that's just how this works. He's going to die, and uh, if we don't bury him quick, the decomposition happens like lightning fast in the tropics, and we got to get him in the ground. So pretty hopeless situation. Enter New Testament prayer that most of us, 
you know, if you've been here for a while, you're like, oh, I'm kind of getting it. I'm kind of understanding it, at least in theory how it works. Well, go to history and find out the people that actually did it, not in theory, but in actuality. So near Attleboro, Massachusetts, a rather small group had gathered at a Bible conference. In the course of the morning study, they were interrupted by the conference director, Reverend Joseph Evans of Newton, Massachusetts, who told told them told them of a deepening burden and concern that he that had come upon him for the missionary. This is, of course, him. So, V. Raymond Edmund, he's trying to teach, and he's like, guys, at this Bible conference, the Holy Spirit's telling me something right now. I don't know if this strikes you as odd. And again, God does some of this stuff around here, but I'm just trying to show you how it works because there's people that have done it way better than we do it. We've seen lots of miracles. That's why I enjoy worship, and I'm always crying during worship. Miracle worker, et cetera, promise keeper. I'm just looking at, yeah, come up here, and I look at your faces, and all the miracles God's done. But there's people that have done it way better than we have, and I want to get there. But this is what happened then. He requested they share the prayer burden with him during those hours, hours. Says, look, we got to fight for this missionary. Unknown to them, Miss Edmund had dyed her wedding dress black. Mr. Reed had bought the native coffin for me. Since then, I've met friends in New England who were present at that meeting. They've told me that if they should live to be 100 years old, they could never forget their kneeling to prayer and the agony of spirit in intercession for me. Why are we reading they found the secret? Why was he able to be the college of the Harvard of the born again, you know, universe in et cetera? Because there are people that said, look, this disease is not God's will for him. The devil is trying to take this guy out. How we stop Satan's work on earth is through praying until we get to the place where we have the confidence to command. This is how this works in the real world. And I like this example too, because if anybody who's of a more conservative bent is listening to this, no, you're talking about Pentecostals and people swinging off the chandeliers and all that. We don't pray like that in the smart church. No, this is the president of Wheaton College. He has a PhD. He knows his theology. He knows his Greek. He knows his Hebrew. He knows his church history. And he still says, this is the way prayer happens. I was saved. My life was saved. Because people understood how prayer worked, like Jesus described it. <clears throat> so where else does this happen in the New Testament? There is no other kind of praying in the New Testament. We're just reading it wrong. We have blinders over our eyes when we read the New Testament in this and in so many other areas. And I know people come to this church and they say, this guy's crazy and this guy's weird and I got to get out of here because I've never heard this before. But remember, we're talking to Jesus. These aren't, these aren't my ideas. So you're not saying I'm weird and I'm crazy. You got to figure out if this is actually something close to what Jesus would be saying to us about prayer. You can come to a place of confidence in prayer if you learn how to do it and you learn who he is and you study your Bible because you can't just command anything to happen. You have to figure out what it is God wants to do. And then you have to agree with him, but he's waiting for you to agree with him. If they had not had this prayer meeting and they had not prayed for V. Raymond Edmund, we would not be reading They Found the Secret. I don't like that. That's a violation of my theology. Could you be deceived? Nope, I couldn't be deceived because I have a degree 
from Impresiaro Theological University and that's, you know, or so-and-so Bible college. Well, I got the stack of degrees too from those impressive schools. And I think we're doing it wrong. And then I read about people like this and I said, that looks a lot more like the New Testament. So is there more evidence for this? Yes. When they came to the crowd, this is Matthew 17. I've brought this up before. We help demonize people in this church. If anybody was demonized as an afflicted by demonic spirits, and they now recognize that that's what it was, and they are now free, are you bold enough to give me an amen? Wow. Okay, good. So we help demonize people around here. We do. Actually, people who don't believe in them, they'll call me on the phone and like, we don't know what to do with this person. We don't, we're not even sure what it is. I'm like, oh, that's demons. Oh, well, our church guy. Our church doesn't really believe that. I think, I think they were all shipped off to Pluto after the resurrection. Um, there are no more demons. No, we actually, the Bible says they're there. So they bring to Jesus a demonized boy. And what happens? When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him. He said, Lord, have mercy on me. My son is crazy. He's sick. He falls into the fire, into the water. What's that called? That is a suicidal spirit. I've seen, we've had people in our church like that. All they wanted to do is kill themselves. I'm pulling up multiple files right now of people in this church who used to, all they would think about in their spare time was how they could kill themselves. It's demonic. I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't cure him. So uh, I need to do a little editing here in the Bible. This next part is just, no, 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 no. Because what Jesus should have done had he been brought up in some of the educational circles I was brought up in, the disciples said, Jesus, this man came, we prayed, oh, Lord, if it be thy will, heal this child, and we couldn't do it. And so what I would have wanted the Bible to say at this point is, Jesus turned to them and smiled and said, the Lord works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. We don't understand why, but this is the best for this child, it's the best for your family, and it gives God glory. And you're like, uh, if you say so. This looks pretty gnarly to me. This looks like it's giving the devil glory. Um, but that's, we've all heard that lecture. We've all heard the, yeah, the baby's going to die. Why did my brother go to hell without hearing the gospel? It wasn't God's will. It's mysterious. Let's worship him. Let's sing some praise songs. I don't really feel like praising God right now. Because um, he never, he didn't love my brother enough to, he didn't care. He didn't. What if the responsibility is really on us? That, that's kind of heavy, isn't it? What if God's actually given us the tools? He said, there's all kinds of stuff I want to do in this world. I'm waiting for you to step up. I think there's people in our church right now, they'd be dead if we hadn't fought for them. I really do. And I got some people nodding their heads, and I could get emotional. I got two people. I'm just not even trying to look at them. And they're like, that was me. We fought for them in prayer. And we st we're not as good as... Uh, that pastor in Massachusetts and his bunch. We pray for two hours. And how many of you guys are like, two hours? Oh, my goodness. It's only been 10 minutes. Oh, we got to sit here for two. But we do it. We slug it out. Occasionally, we get some momentum and we keep fighting. But God still does miracles here. What did Jesus actually say to the disciples when they brought him this poor kid who's suicidal, crazy, out of his mind? Let's get rid of these. Because we don't mess with the Bible. It says what it says. 
we bend to the Bible. We don't bend the Bible to our theology or our presuppositions or our scientific worldview. If Jesus is God with skin on, because remember, at start, we're going to listen to what he has to say. So what did Jesus say? Jesus said, you unbelieving and perverted generation, and the disciples are in on this answer, dudes, what is the matter with you? He didn't give them the God's will speech here. How long am I going to be with you? How long do I have to put up with you guys? Can't anybody do this? Don't any of you know how to pray? Don't any of you understand what God's will is? That good means good and bad means bad and bad's never good and bad doesn't turn up God's light bulb? And a demonized child is always a bad thing and a dying baby is always a bad thing and a person going to hell is always a bad thing? Bring them to me. Jesus rebuked him and the demon came out and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to him privately. Why could we not drive it out? Because of the littleness of your faith. You guys don't know how to do it. You don't believe right. And then in the bottom here, and then again, he goes into this mountain thing. Littleness of your faith. If you have this size of a mustard seed of faith, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. It will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And then he says, this kind doesn't come out except through prayer. Gee, that looks a lot like the passage we just read. In prayer, you get to the place of confidence, to the place where you know God's going to do it, and then you say, it is done. And uh, he also talks about this same story in Mark 9. Look at the last sentences here. He came to the house. The disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? He said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything except prayer. It's a little different details. It's pretty neat details, but again, I got to make tracks here. So study it out. Write that in your notes. I'm going to go read Mark 9. I'm going to compare it to Matthew 17. Why do why do the Matthew, Mark, and Luke have so many accounts that are similar? Come to seminar, start learning about the Bible and how it was put together. I don't have time to go into it, but a lot of you know, those are synoptic gospels and they're Matthew and Luke are basically based off of Mark, and Mark's kind of more like an outline, and Matthew and Luke put a bunch of kind of original material in to beef it up. So you can compare them. That's one of the ways we know that we really have what Jesus said, because we have multiple attestation of witnesses. And some of you don't even know what the last paragraph I just said meant. Some of you do, but we got to study our Bibles so we understand how all this works. But Jesus says, pray so you believe that God wants to do something good in this situation. And then speak it. Why am I telling you this? Because I, you guys know this, I go to bed. I had to say this, I'm getting older. I still feel like I'm 20-something. I'm surrounded by 20-somethings. And so that makes me feel like I'm 20-something. But I get up at 2 in the morning sometimes for no good reason at all. I'm just like, and uh, so what I do is I put on a book classic book, some contemporary Christian book, and I'm listening to this book. And these are the kind of books you guys are going to be reading now. This is the theology that has, it just is flooding the church right now. And it's one of the reasons almost nobody sees miracles right now. Hugely important person related to a massively important person in missions history. And I don't want to blow their cover because I love them and I'm going to see them in heaven. But I woke up right as they were describing a very different approach to a dying 20-something who sold out for Jesus and in ministry. I woke up, I don't know, 
because the book had gone all the way to this point. So maybe I'd been asleep a couple hours and it's just talking, talking, talking. This man, same country, Ecuador. He, you know, that, that uh, V. Raymond Edmund was in when he was a young man. As a, years later, it's a more contemporary story, but his kids had been there. They loved the people group that they were working with. His daughter is I don't, maybe 20, just beautiful, full of life. She'd just been on this missions tour. They invite her home. They have a welcome home party. She says, I have a horrible headache. Then she falls out. Then they call the ambulance. I mean, this is a nightmare, and this really happened to this guy. Dedicated his life to kingdom, to Christ, everything. I, I woke up right when this is, I'm, I'm listening to the story of a young person sold out to Jesus. And uh, here's some of the things that I heard. <clears throat> He's watching his daughter die. Then I thought, if God is all-powerful and all-knowing, none of this is happening without his knowledge or permission. This had to be a part of his plan for blank and for us. This had to be part of the story God was writing in our lives. This is what we're taught now. Submit. Do you find that anywhere in the New Testament? Have you been, who's been taught to submit stuff? Let me see your hand. Hi. I want to see your hands up high. Okay, almost everybody. Is this in the New Testament? Is this what Jesus was doing? If it's not, what's going on in the church? We're deceived. Who deceives? Well, I thought the devil couldn't get into the church. I thought there was a force field, a magic bubble that was put around me when I said a sinner's prayer, well, then you really haven't read the New Testament because all the warnings, you know, last week we talked about the spiritual armor. He said, your Peter, your adversary, the devil prowls around you guys like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Paul said, stand firm, stand firm in the evil day, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to resist the schemes of the devil to the Corinthians. He says, we're not ignorant of his schemes. If you think the devil can't touch you because you're born again, you're doubly deceived. So why would he bring deception into the church? Because if he can stop us, he wins. Nobody else can stop him. He's got everybody else. He's got all the cults and he's got all the false religions and the pseudo-Christian religions who he doesn't have, technically speaking, are the born-again, spirit-filled Christians. So if he can dupe us out of using one of our most powerful weapons that we have, people are going to die right in front of us and we're going to comfort each other. Say God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. You know, the dude who wrote that poem went insane, just so you know. It's, it's in our hymns, and we quote it all the time. He went out of his mind. He was a suicidal wreck. You can't live with that kind of... <sighs> but anyway, the real point is, Jesus, um, it looks to me like what you're saying is there's some really good things you want to get done. It's up to us to kind of wrestle through things on our knees until we can see with clarity what it is that you and your father want to do. And then by faith, we have to agree with you, even to the point where we're willing to say it out loud. And that's kind of the magic moment that's going to make it manifest on earth. And there's some theologians and they'd say, I'm a heretic and I'm blaspheming. And they're just these big words. And some of you might say, oh, but this guy has a big radio ministry and he's written books. And who do you think the devil's going to use? Freddy Krueger? You know, 
That's not going to be temptation for us. Who cares what the, the Mormon Grand Puba says or the Pope says? He's going to use people in our own camp, and they're good people and they're going to heaven, but they're going to have, he's going to take hold of doctrines that are important, like prayer. So I woke up listening to this, and I was kind of appalled. And what else, what else happened in this little? So then a friend came into the room. Just then a close came into the, a friend came into the ICU in the waiting room and told his wife and him that everyone was praying that God would heal his daughter. I felt a wave of appreciation sweep over me. People of faith were praying for us. But wait. He'd pray, he said they were praying that she'd be healed. That prayer was not theirs to decide. My mind was made up. We would trust God and let him write our story. This dude would get a round of applause in most of the churches I grew up in. A round of applause. What faith. I think Jesus would spit his Starbucks coffee all over me if I tried to tell him that's what biblical faith and prayer was. And I'm not kidding. My mind was made up. We trust God. I heard my own voice explaining to our friend as though I were at a distance overhearing the conversation. No, ask everyone to pray. God will do whatever he thinks best. Ask him to give us the courage to accept it until we see why he wanted it this way. So you have two very different scenarios with missionaries that were in Ecuador. One of them was a 20-something who was dying, and mysteriously God told a little Bible study off in Massachusetts, fight for this guy's life. And if you would talk to them, you'd say, what would have happened if you hadn't fought for his life? He would be nothing but a memory of a zealous 20-year-old kid with a ton of potential that God, for some reason, took home, right? That was not what they saw. They said, no, it's a battle and bodies are flying and it's up to us to believe and stand and trust and fight. And if we fight, we see victory. And if we don't, we lose our kids and we lose our marriages and we lose our own minds. If we fight, we win. Be excellent in what is good, innocent of evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So what is Jesus' view on prayer? Is it submission if it be thy will, but if not, we'll accept it. Uh, again, I just don't find anybody in the Bible praying like that ever. Yes, I'm going to hit Jesus in the garden here in a minute. And you're like, Ted, you always talk about this. Well, until we do it, you're going to be hearing about it more and more and more and more. And until at our prayer meeting, we are ratcheting it up and we're making Statements of faith that actually manifest, because some of us have tried and nothing really happened, right? Well, that's because we don't know how to do it yet. Until we can shed tears for the lost, like the greatest intercessors in history. Until we get fire in our bones and we're like, don't have to fight to pray for two hours, but we're praying and we're believing God. And then we're like, what time is it anyway? And somebody says it's four in the morning. And you're like, well, I just totally lost track of time. I'm not kidding. Read history. This is how it works. When you really get into prayer and you really get in the zone which some of us have slipped into the zone occasionally. And what's happened? A miracle. I remember when I was young and I'm going to Russia and I knew I was going to Russia and God made it clear I was going to Russia and I needed $20,000 in the bank, which would be like you guys needing $70,000 in the bank. And I had about 40000 in the bank and this little old lady said, I'm so sorry that this didn't work out for you. And I was like, what are you talking about? God called me. I'm going. I don't know how it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And I was on the airplane 
in about a month heading for Russia because I've I, I been exposed to this since I was young. And I don't do this perfectly. I'm just telling you that if you study the books on prayer, this is how it really works. And I think this is what Jesus would be saying. Something very similar to this if we were talking to him. Do you need a miracle? Do you need a miracle for someone in your life? We just invited somebody into this church who's demonized. They came to the church, they surrendered to Christ, then they flipped out. Last week I said, that's typical. It happened to a bunch of you guys. What do we do now? We fight. We intercede for them until we say, Satan, you are done. You lose. We claim this person. Your power over this person is broken. And then his power is broken. And, then they're, and that's what we did with some of you guys. That's, what, that's part of the miraculous story of a lot of your all's. Even that we're not so precise and we're not so exact and we're a little bit sloppy and we're, we're kind of like preschoolers trying to paint, but we still get it done. But I, anyway. What else do I got here? Luke 10. Oh, so how does Jesus teach us to pray? Let's go to his teaching passages on prayer. Believe it till you see it. That's how he teaches us to pray. Luke 10 is a classical pa classic passage. He says, how do we pray, Jesus? Well, suppose one of you has a friend. Goes to him at midnight, says, friend, lend me three loaves. Friend of mine has come to me on a journey. I don't have anything to set before him. I can't show hospitality to my friend. Inside, he says, don't bother me. The door's been shut. My children are in bed. I can't give, get up and give you anything. Now, this is funny because I've got a great example of this. My house squeaks like nuts. It's crazy. So my wife sequestered me up in the sunroom. She put the coffee pot up there. She said, have your computer up there. Do not leave this room Saturday morning or, or this morning because we've got a grandbaby asleep and then we got Nate and Chloe on floor one and Noah and Megan and the baby on you know the, the bottom floor. Um, and our I, some of you have been to our house. It just is the squeakiest house on the planet. So dude says, no. You know, what if someone texts me, Tad, this morning, uh, I had a friend come over. I don't have anything to feed them. Do you get any, can I, you know, raid your kitchen and give me a bag of stuff so I can, whatever. I'll be like, can't do it, dude. My wife told me, I... I got to stay up here because the baby's going to get up and cry. And then Chloe brought their dog and the dog's going to start whining. And the whole house is going to be in pandemonium. It was like four o'clock. You're crazy. So what does Jesus say to do? Inside, he answers, don't bother me. My children are in bed. I can't get up. I tell you, even though he won't give up, get up and give him anything because he's his friend because of his persistence. Beep. Are you kidding me? Dude, you don't understand, Susan. Beep. Oh, I'm going to turn my phone off if this guy doesn't, you know. Then he's throwing rocks up at the window. Dude, I need something for my friend. I'm like, get out of here. He said, look, you stay persistent, you're going to get what you want. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray here. The friend doesn't go, oh, it must not be Ted's awesome will. Like, no, I can move my friend. I can move him. I know I can move him. He might be mad at me tomorrow, but I can move him. He said, look, if, if we can move each other by our persistence, we need to lock in on the good thing we want and keep praying until we get it. That's okay, Jesus' main teaching. What are the kind of teachings you got for us, Jesus? Well, the most famous one, maybe Luke 18, he was telling them that this parable to show that they ought to pray at all times and not lose heart and not give up. You got someone who's a drug addict. You got someone who's suicidal. You got someone who's lost and crazy and seems like the most improbable person. 
to be saved. You got some sin issue that you've been walking with for so long that it feels like an appendage that it'd be like cutting off your arm to get rid of it, but you hate it. You don't know how to get rid of it. You know, a Christian who used to be awesome and now they're so far gone. We could come up with a million scenarios. What do you do? He tells this story about a judge, a wicked judge and a widow. I'm not going to read it. Go study it for yourself. This widow just keeps coming. Give me what I want. 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 And the end, Jesus says, hear what the unrighteous judge, judge says. says. If this works for wicked people, how much more is it going to work for God? Who's good? Who loves? Who looks just like me and likes to do good stuff? Will not God bring about justice? What is justice? It's not Roman legal gavel justice. It means setting things right. It means your drug addicted brother coming home and getting off the meth. It means your you know, sex addicted friend or your own sin issue gone. Whatever it means to be set right, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Will not God give justice to his elect or his chosen ones? Where's his chosen ones? I believe anybody could be his chosen one. That's a title. It just means we're, in, we're insiders. We're not outsiders. Who cry to him day and night. I tell you, he will bring about justice for them quickly. And then he goes at Starbucks. Jesus is like, you know what? I am coming back. And I don't know if when I come back, there's going to be a soul on earth who will know how to do this anymore. And if this offends you, However, when the Son of Man returns, will he find any faith on the earth? They'll have something they'll call faith, submission. The Muslims are going to do it. The Taoists are going to do it. Everybody's going to do it. The Catholics are going to do it, if it be thy will. God said, look, my chosen ones are supposed to be doing something different. They're supposed to be moving things around in this world by their prayer. Let's see, prayers of submission. Just to clear this up, this is not what Jesus was doing in the garden. Sounds the same. Not my will, but yours be done. It wasn't what he was doing. He wasn't saying, God, you know, I'm not sure whether you want me to die or uh, whether I can get out of this thing and everything turn out okay. He wasn't saying, God, I, I don't know if you want the baby healed or you want the baby dead. I don't know if you want my friends saved or you want them damned. I don't know. I don't know if you want me to carry around this insanity, these voices in my head, or you want me to deliver it. He said, God, I know exactly what you want. It just looks really, really, really hard. So there's a part of me that wishes there's some way we could get around this, but I don't think it's possible. So not what that part of me and my human weakness would want, but what you want, because what you want is always the best. It's a very different kind of a prayer. So first of all, he tells his disciples, he, came, he proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. His disciples followed him. When he arrived, he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So in the first place, he's just using this regular type of prayer. Look, guys, something's going to happen to you unless you pray. If you pray, it's not going to happen. God doesn't want it to happen, but it will happen to you. If you don't pray, what happened? They didn't pray, and it happened to them. So this lines up with the regular way of praying. Then he withdrew about a stone's throw. He knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Where's he going? He's going to die for you and for me. And if he doesn't die, we're all sunk. The human race is sunk. We're all going to hell. But he is going to break fellowship with his father for the first time in the history of eternity. And all the darkness and wrath is gonna, uh, that we all deserve is going to be placed on Jesus. 
and all the evil men you know and, and forces of hell are going to unleash their fury on him and that just doesn't sound really fun and he's a human in the same way that you are a human and he said god that looks excruciating and difficult and yes i love these people but is there any other way around this than for me to take a wrath that they all deserve because if there is that's why he says, let this cup pass from me. But then he says, if there isn't, he has vivid clarity about what needs to happen here. This is not what we're doing when we just submit blindly to whatever happens. He's making a choice of his will here to believe, stand, and obey. Something very specific God has spoken to him. So a lot of people will raise this issue. And my wife also said, you should talk about the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That doesn't mean submit. That means that there's things that God wants in his mind, in heaven, that you have to believe for here on earth. Whether that's a healing or a salvation or you to get over some addiction or you know free someone from some demonic influence, you got to fight for it. So Jesus in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, look, fight for it and say, God, what you want, that's what I want. And I'm going to pray until I see it. So again, I hope you guys, under if you don't understand what I'm saying about this, the words sound similar, but he's not doing Allah Akbar. He's not saying whatever happens, happens. He's not doing that here. He's saying, I got two roads I could go down. God, give me the strength to go down the right road. So, being in agony, he's praying fervently. Sweats became, sweat became like drops of blood. It says an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Sometimes obeying God is tough. Uh, anybody ever had a tough decision they had to make? Okay, we got one, two, three, four. Okay. Wouldn't it have been helpful if God had just sent an angel? Right? I mean, Jesus is at this critical moment, and he struggles through things the same way we do. But wouldn't it just been so helpful if Gabriel shows up like he did in the book of Daniel? Daniel, you're right on track, buddy. Yes, you know, maybe one of you guys, you got to break up with that girl. And God's really proud of you for, yes, you got to quit that job. Yes, God wants you to go to university, even though you've always thought of yourself as an idiot and your parents told you you're stupid and you'd never amount to anything. God wants you to take that step of faith and go in a place. Wouldn't it just been so, so God encourages Jesus because he's struggling to believe and obey. But this is not a submission, whatever comes down the pike prayer. All right, I'll leave that one alone. Is there any other potentially submission, uh, just whatever happens, happens kind of prayers that we refer to? What about Paul's thorn in the flesh? Have anyone ever heard of Paul's thorn in the flesh used in this kind of a sermon to say, just submit? Well, let's go see what actually happened to Paul here. So Paul has raised the dead. He's converted the, you know, the Gentile world. This man's like a Holy Spirit hurricane. He's just, a, he brings revival wherever he goes. He's fearless. He's given up everything for God's kingdom and his cause. God let him go to the third, third heaven, hear things, see things. Other human beings are not allowed to hear and see and he said, you can't even tell people what I showed you. And Paul's like us. And he's prone to get cocky, right? Who in here is prone to pride? Okay, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you don't know yourselves. We're all prone to pride. I said, you can be praying on Tuesday night, right? And the words are just coming together and the scriptures come up. You know, like, wow, man, this is a good prayer. And when it gets answered, you know, people are going to think I'm on the A-team. You know, I'm, where's the pride just sneaks in everywhere. So can you imagine if you were Paul? He got to write half of the New Testament. He got to see things people aren't allowed to see. So look what happens. 
I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, Angelos. What does that sound like? Angel. What is an angel from Satan? It's a demon. A demon was allowed to buffet the great apostle Paul. Now, that's not normal. We're supposed to, if we know a demon's harassing us, we're supposed to be excellent what is good, innocent of evil, and we're supposed to kick his head in. Amen? That was lame. Amen? If we're in a fight with the devil, we're supposed to expect to win. Paul knew that. He said, look, there's some demon that's riding. I don't know what it was, a physical malady. Sometimes it's like a temptation or, or like some kind of like psychological harassment. Who knows what it was? To torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might lead me. So he didn't say, oh, I have depression. That's just my thorn in the flesh. It's my gift from God. Oh, I have voices in my head. I'm psychotic. I, I have a sin issue. I have an addiction. My name is Tad. I'm an alcoholic. Nothing I can do about it. I'm just stuck forever in this. He didn't resign. That's just the way God made me. You know, Lady Gaga, you know, he made me this way, whatever. He didn't do that. He said, doggone it. I'm supposed to be walking in peace and joy and righteousness and holiness. And it is weird for a demon to be riding someone like me and looking like he has the upper hand. So I'm going to seek the Lord. He says, I earnestly entreated the Lord three times. Do you know what it means for Paul to earnestly entreat the Lord? He's not driving his car on the way to work, fiddling with the radio, eating a McMuffin. Lord, could you get this off of me? Okay, then I'll call my psychologist. We're talking probably a 20-day fast, a 40-day fast, getting the other people in the church to lay hands on him. Pray, I mean, pray in ways that we've never seen in our lives. He said, I did this three times, and we could not break the power of this sucker, and I did not know what was going on. He is not submitting until God speaks to him. And he says, Paul, I know this is weird, but this is called an exception. So, and for us to say, I need a thorn in the flesh, I always laugh. What have you done? What have you ever done? How many books of the Bible did you write? What did you see when you went to the third heaven? How many people have you raised from the dead? You've not done squat, nothing, ever. You can't even get up to have your quiet time. What do you have to be proud about? What do you need a thorn in the flesh for? If you got a devil harassing you, come to church and learn how to kick its head in. The apostle Paul was prone to pride. So the Lord said, I said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Although this is happening, I'm going to give you the strength to make it through the battle, but you need this. My power is perfected in weakness. Basically, if you didn't have this affliction, what it could have been a physical malady. There's indication in the Bible he might have had some problems with his eyes, which he's used to healing. He's used to prayers being answered. But God said, you need something to keep you humble or you'll go off the rails. Not the apostle Paul. Yes, he's made of the exact same stuff you are. The Apostle Paul said, I beat my body, I make it my slave, lest possibly after I've preached to others, I might be disqualified. So Paul says, okay, I will now submit because God has made it perfectly clear why it is best for me to have something bad in my life. But if he had not done that, I would have fought this sucker tooth and nail until we sent it back to hell. So there's just no cheap, easy, quick submission to bad things in the New Testament. In prayer is figuring out the good thing God wants to do, wrestling in prayer, getting down over all your obstacles until you agree with him 
and believe it. And then sometimes you will say, hallelujah, it is done. And that's a statement of faith. And sometimes you will say, like Jim Simbler, remember that prayer for Jim Simbler, his daughter? Uh, I remember him describing the prayer meeting that set his daughter free, which is a crazy, rebellious teenager. And he said he's sitting back watching a thousand people in his church pray with authority like he'd never seen them pray before. But one of the accounts I heard him say, he was watching a lady go, Satan, you will give up that girl. She was home the next day. Listen to it. Coolest sermon, one of the coolest sermons I've ever heard called House of Prayer. Their church knew something about praying. They knew about getting their mind up to where God's mind was and then saying in confidence, it is over. So, Jesus, appreciate you coming to Starbucks with me, working this all through. Do I have it down or am I missing something here? Because I've been here in my whole life in church. Whatever comes down the pike is good. It all turns up God's light bulb somehow. Is that what I'm supposed to do? So I guess, uh, oh, there's another, there's another submission passage, passage, but it's so absurd that it, people quote Eli in the Old Testament. It's ridiculous. Uh, you want to hear it or not? <laughs> it's been a long sermon. There's nobody, there's nobody in Israel who can even hear from God because everybody's wicked, including Eli, the high priest. His sons are these fornicating monsters who like are having sex with the girls that are trying to serve God in the temple and they're stealing the sacrifices from people and Eli won't correct them. So God sends him a prophet. God's trying to deal with him. And finally, God shows up and tells this little boy that uh, Eli's in big trouble. And um, Samuel told him everything, hid nothing from him. Eli said, he's the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. So unless you're totally wicked and don't give a rip for uh, what God's will is, and he's warned you a hundred times and you don't want to respond, then this is not a godly example of responding to the word of God. This man should have fallen on his knees and repented years prior, rebuked his sons, disciplined his sons, cleaned up the ministry. He wouldn't do it. That's why the hammer's coming down. God doesn't want him to submit here. God wants him to repent. How do we know? Because God tells us when he explains what's happening. Last verse here. I told him that I judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about his son's blaspheme God, yet he failed to restrain them. He wouldn't do anything about it. This is not, these are not good examples. Those are the only three that I could even come up with that even could make us possibly think they're biblical examples of submission. Not good examples. But the massive truckload of evidence is where we started, which is his prayer submission? No. I don't pray if it be your will. I never do it. Never, never, never. And I'm not good at anything. I really like saying that. I'm just not good at anything. But I've seen more miracles than most of you guys, personally. And I've been a part of them. I and mean, a lot of them have been you guys. Why? And I think a big part of it is I just won't pray that way. I won't say if it be your will. Because nobody does it in the Bible that way. There is no submission to bad things. Unless God were to break in and say very clearly, in this situation, yeah, sickness is bad. In this situation, it's going to bring glory. Yeah, someone dying young is bad. In this situation, I'm going to bring about great glory from it. Okay, now I understand. I'll let the, you know. I'll let you use something you hate to bring about something you love, which God also does that on occasion. But I don't just want to sit by and let all this bad stuff happen. 
Because nine times out of ten, we can smash it. But we don't because we've been taught to just say, I mean, if it be thy will. James 5. Should I do this? Sure, I will. How many of you guys have memorized James chapter 5? One, two, three. Higher. I want to see your hands higher. Good, good, good. The whole chapter. Okay. Um, the effective prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much. Elijah, he says, what are we supposed to use as our example in the New Testament? Elijah. How did Elijah pray? We go back to the Old Testament. Let's see. Elijah went to the top of Mark, Mount Carmel. He had just called down fire from heaven, by the way. Um, he just prayed a three-year drought on rebellious Israel to get their attention. He just defeated 450 prophets of Baal. This guy can move God. How does he pray? He crouched down on the earth, put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, now he needs rain. He needs rain to fulfill what God's asked of him. So he's going to pray for rain. And this is the example that James gives us. Um, <clears throat> he tells his servant to go seven times. Um, I'm praying for rain. God, send the rain. This is for your glory. This is for your purpose. This is to turn the nation back to you. Uh, go check and see if there's rain. Guy goes, there's nothing, man. Everything's bone dry and there's a cloud in the sky. Well, I guess God moves in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. Let's just slouch our way back to wherever and maybe I'll go back in a cave and wait for the ravens to come and you know feed me dinner. No, he seven times he does it. Doggone it, this thing's got to get answered. It's called travail. It's like birthing. It is. That, the real intercessors will tell you that real prayer is like birthing something. When you start, you don't believe it. Something in you is pushing you forward, but you're like, I don't know how this is going to happen. I think I see it on paper. I see how this is a good thing, but I can see a million reasons why it shouldn't, why it won't. All my friends are saying not going to happen, but something in you keeps pushing you, pushing you, pushing you. Just like where we started with V. Raven Edmund. But he was dying. These people travailed. They fasted. They cried out to God for hours. And then they got to the point, you can go read about it in a whole bunch of different places, but they got to the point where they knew, they're like, it's over. If they did high fives back in the 1920s, they'd be giving each other high fives. It's over, guys. Chest bumps. You know? We broke through. So let's see here. Application. There are two very different views of prayer competing for the hearts and minds of God's people right now. One is kicking the other's can. These two views, if you think of them as pugilists, if you think of them as MMA fighters, one of these views is crushing the other one. And it's not the good view. It's the view that we take whatever comes down the pike. There are two very different views of prayer competing for the hearts and minds of God's people. It's coming from the biggest teachers. It's in the most popular prayer books that have come out in the last 50, 75 years. That's why I want you guys to go back 100 years, 150 years. They were singing a different tune, and they were seeing glory. Read Andrew Murray. Read Ian Bounds. Read Prang High. Read D.L. Moody. Read Charles Finney. Read all these Read all these different amazing people. Make a conscious decision to choose one or the other. I'll think about this later. Jesus said, when the word's been sown, the devil just, he wants you to think about it later. He wants you to think about it right now. Because you can change your family. That alcoholic in your family, God wants them delivered. 
that shattered person that you know who's a psychological wreck because they were sexually abused. God wants them healthy, whole, healed. That lost person, God wants them saved. So the de- this is one of the last things the devil wants you to think about consciously correcting in your theology. And if you realize that what you're believing is wrong, what do you do? You repent. Wow, God, I'm sorry that if you and I, Jesus, we're out at Starbucks, I'd be disagreeing with you and I'd be telling you you're wrong. I'm sorry, Jesus, for calling you a liar. I'm going to submit to what the Word says. Not what Tad says. Who cares what Tad says? If I don't say what the Word says. Then... But that's what I, that's why I like to tell you guys. Maybe I'm the devil. Go check the Bible and see. But maybe the last pastor you sat under was the devil. Or if he wasn't the devil, the devil had corrupted his theology on a point or two. So we need to make a conscious decision to choose one or the other based on the life and words of Jesus, our conversation companion, that we've got plenty of words to work with. Okay. I'm going to say a prayer. And we still have 10 minutes to do our communion. So, Lord, we come before in Jesus' name. I want to get better at this. I'm not good at it. I travail sometimes when life is just crushing me or somebody is hanging by a thread, but most of my prayers are pretty weak and faithless. Uh, I fall into this view of you doing everything because that's what I was raised on, but I want you to correct my understanding of prayer and everything else. So, Lord, I just pray you'd make us a praying people, and I pray that we could light on fire other Christians, other churches, And just like the prayer awakening in the 1850s we studied on Saturday, do it again. We pray that there'd be a revival of prayer from Maine to California that would reap a harvest of souls. Um, But correct this, Lord. Come against the devil and what he's done in our minds and in our churches. Make us like the persistent widow. Teach us how to stand and fight for your name's sake and your glory. And so your kingdom can come and your will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.